0: Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Armed and Ready podcast. I am your host, Jason Wood, the VA loan guy. Today we have Marine veteran Daniel Lane with us. We've got some really cool stuff to talk to you about, so come check it out. Daniel, thanks so much for being on the show, man. I appreciate it.
1: Dude, thank you for having me. Good to
0: have you. So um, we're in the San Diego area, so lots of Marine vets around here. Oh, yeah. Um Lots and lots, and we were just kind of chatting uh, before we started recording here about some funny stuff, but I wanted to, to kind of introduce our audience to you and um, just kind of your background, how you got into the Marine Corps, what was the motivation there to, to raise your right hand and, and all that stuff. So tell us a little bit about you.
1: So um, I grew up in Southeast Texas. Uh, I was an adopted pastor's kid. I was adopted when I was about, uh, about four. And, uh, and my parents were pastors of a church in Southeast Texas. So I grew up, you know, in the church, you know, I wanted to be a five-fold minister. And uh, when I was in high school, I was dating this girl that my parents didn't like, uh, which is the worst thing I ever did as a pastor's kid was <laughs> I wouldn't break up with this girl. They thought she was crazy. They wanted me to break up with her and I wouldn't do it. So um, we kept going back and forth. And of course, you know, Revenge of the Sith was out at the time. So Forbidden Love was like the whole thing. So, yeah, like, you know, I had the Anakin Padme thing going on with my girlfriend. We weren't telling my parents about it and they found out. And so shortly before graduation, my dad, you know, came and sat down with me because I was supposed to be going to this Bible Institute down in Columbus. And he goes, you know, listen, he goes, you're coming up on graduation soon. He goes and um, he goes, and I don't feel comfortable sending you down to this Bible Institute with the whole church, you know, supporting you while you're down there and you're living in open rebellion to us. So he said, you know, you've got a choice. He goes, you can either, you can either stop living in rebellion and, and listen to me or, you know, you're gonna be 18 soon. You need to have a job. Well, I'd already been talking to a Marine recruiter for a little bit because after I went to the Bible Institute, I was thinking about maybe joining the Marine Corps. Okay. But I wanted to have a little bit of time after high school before doing that. So when he said that, I was just like, all right, well, I'm going to join the Marine Corps. And uh, my dad looked at me in the face and he said, um, he goes, you know, you'll never hear me say this in front of your mother and sisters. He goes, but I respect the hell out of what you're doing. He goes, that's the last you're going to hear from me out of it. And, wow. uh, and my mother and both of my sisters were like freaked out, like they couldn't handle it. Like, they're, they're like, you can't even kill a spider. They're like, <laughs> you know, what, what, like, why would you do this? You know, and so they tried to talk me out of it. And I just I wouldn't be talked out of it. They were they were trying to get they gave me a my way or the highway. And I was like, Highway. So yeah. I uh I joined I joined the Marine Corps in 2006 like right out of high school. Nice. And uh yeah, graduated and then left uh left in June.
0: Did you do boot camp out here?
1: Yes, I did. Yeah, that was that was an interesting experience. I uh I got on the plane. Uh that was my first plane trip. I get to the airport, I walk into the airport and um and when you get to the area where they they have you go I see this, you know, Marine drill instructor. He's got the hat on, you know, you, you know, just head down, talking to the lady at the desk. And I walk in, and I'm a little pastor's kid from a small town in southeast Texas. I smile and greet everyone that I meet. So I go up there, and I'm, like, just in there, and I'm just kind of looking around, not know what I'm supposed to do. And this drill instructor looks over me and goes, the fuck are you looking at? <laughs> <laughs> like, like, right off the bat, <laughs> get over there and sit down and, like, put your head down. So I go over there, I sit down with the other guys, they're all sitting cross-legged, and they have their chins up against their chest. So I go to sit down, I put my chin up against my chest, and they told us to stay there. And they had to stay there for, like, a long time. No <laughs> idea how long. But I, I was, seriously, I was, I was convinced that they were going to make my neck break from, like, having my chin touch my chest, because you don't think that's a bad thing, you know, to do until you've been sitting here for, like, you know, 45 minutes, and your neck feels like it's going to fall off. Right. And so, man, I, you know the discipline aspect of like the marine corps was not the culture shock for me it was like the way that they talk to you like like the way that marine corps drill instructors use like like swearing to just break you down is unlike anything that anyone's ever experienced. It's an art form, right? It is, a, dude. It is a pure art form. They are—they are like Rembrandt with—with—with with, with insults and swear words. It's incredible.
0: Well, those drill instructor hats—they have like this intimidation factor, right? They like, do. I remember my drill instructor, and it, just looking at him when when he had the hat on, he looked kind of like a normal guy. But when he was wearing that hat, it was like,
1: whoa. Yeah, you didn't want to mess with him. Yeah. No, no, and and my my drill instructors, uh, the three that I had, one of them, his name was uh, Sergeant Diazcanas. He told us not to say his name because he didn't think any of us could pronounce it. But this guy was like 6'2 or so. Um, looked like a uh, he had braces, which which was which which added to the amount of spit that he threw at <laughs> you. Like if he was chewing you out, you were gonna be soaked after you were done. Like that was just the way it was. And uh, and he was our J hat drill instructor, and he looked like an evil version of Jim Carrey. Like he looked <laughs> kind of like Jim Carrey mixed with John Cena, like just tall, skinny, angry, braces. Just mean, dude. And uh, <laughs> I forget, one, one morning we were standing online and uh and somebody like coughed or something. Like somebody like coughed or moved offline or something like that. And I watched this dude practically teleport from the front of the squad bay all the way to the back. And then he flying dragon kicks this kid over his footlocker. Like just jumps and like kicks him like Bruce Lee. Wow. And like knocks him over his footlocker. Of course, we're all dying laughing because it didn't happen to us. We're all sitting there going, <laughs> everybody's beatboxing. Right. <laughs> And he he turns around, he's like, he's like, anybody else wants some of this? And we're like, "Mm -mm, mm -mm."
0: (laughs) (laughs) oh, that's funny. I remember um, just that airplane ride to basic training. Like that was like having like, I forget from I was flying from Nevada down to San Antonio. I don't remember how many hours it was, but it was like, man, like all the things racing through your head. Like, what am I getting into? What's going to happen? And then I'm coming from like Nevada, no humidity, just dry. and I get off the airplane in San Antonio in the summer. And it's like 90% humidity, hot as hell. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, so the one thing I know about basic training is going to be a lot of physical activity. I'm probably going to die because I can't even breathe right now. <laughs> you know? So I thought, this is it, man. See you, mom and dad. <laughs>
1: so it's the exact opposite for me. I grew up in Texas. So, yeah. you know, in Texas, it will be like 100 degrees outside with like, you know, 110% humidity. So you walk outside, and you instantly feel drenched. And then I get to San Diego and it'll be like a black flag PT day, you know, like like it's like it's 90 some odd degrees and they're like black flag PT day. And I'm outside and I'm like, but it doesn't even feel It's not even hot. It's not even hot. Like what's wrong with you people? Yeah. So like the the heat, you know, in California wasn't wasn't the problem for me. I I got along fine with that because i was so used to that texas humidity
0: yeah you go in the south or texas or something in that those black flag days they're real black they're, flag they're days. they're real yeah like,
1: yeah you'll die they're crazy you'll for real die
0: okay so um so what'd you do in the marine corps what was your job or <clears throat> how, tell us that
1: <clears throat> so um i was uh I was an 331 i was a machine gunner okay um and uh so you know i got, got through boot camp i was open contract in boot camp so I was oh three xx open contract gotcha And then whenever I got to SOI, I wanted to be a rifleman because I didn't want to be stuck on a truck or, like, do anything like that. I wanted to be, you know, I wanted to be, like, in the mix with, like, all the guys going in houses, going on patrols, stuff like that. Right. And uh, I'm not, you know, I'm not an exceptionally big guy either. So, like, you know, I didn't really want to be a machine gunner. um, But they basically, they've all told me. They're like, you're going to be a machine gunner. Right. And uh, (laughs) I was like, but I don't want to be a machine gunner. And they're like, well, what you want doesn't really matter, does it? It doesn't
0: fit the Marine Corps need.
1: right. I signed the contract. So, uh, so got moved over to machine gunner side. And then the next day we went on a 5K hike. And I was like, cool, 5K hike. That's not too bad. I've done that. Then they put a 240 Bravo or 240 Golf at the time on my back. And that's like 27 pounds on top of the pack you're already wearing. And I was like, ah, this sucks. Like, how, dude, what, we got to carry this <laughs> the whole way. <laughs> like, for some reason, the weight of everything that we carried did not like register on my mind as something that was going to be a sucky part of it. And then by the end of the hike, I had a 240 Golf. I had a, 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 a 50 cal barrel. I had a, oh my a tripod, like a bunch of people like fell out. And then, you know, it's like, you're always supposed to like yell like, oh, 331 relief. You know, and then there was, there was, wasn't that many people to relief because everybody needed relief about halfway through the hike. So I'm like carrying like three things. I'm like, dude, this sucks. <laughs>
0: this sucks. <laughs> That's a lot of weight. too. Um,
1: but yeah, as a machine gunner from, from that point on, uh, when I graduated SOI, they sent me to uh, first MSOB, which was really weird. Hmm. Um, that was Marine Special Operations Battalion, which back in 2006, it was brand new. That was right after they restructured First Force Recon as First MSOB. Okay. So MARSOC was a new thing. They were trying to get uh, the Marine Corps into the, the JSOC community okay. because you know, it's like the Navy has the SEALs, you know, the Army has uh, you know, like Delta Force. You know, everybody has their, their high-tier assets, but the Marine Corps had Force Recon and they wanted it to be structured as a Tier 2 um, asset. Uh, The reason they sent a bunch of boots to uh, uh, MARSOC right out of SOI is because they wanted infantry marines for trailer platoons, but they didn't want fleet infantry marines because fleet infantry marines had really bad habits that they wanted to get ahead of.
0: Gotcha. Okay. So
1: they sent us there. It was some weird experiment. And I'll never forget, the day we get there, um, one of the guys who kind of was like an unofficial mentor to me, his name was uh, Sergeant Van Meter, uh, comes up to us and he goes, uh, my name's Dane. He goes. You guys can call me Sergeant Van Meter. He goes. I just want you guys to know, you're all in way over your head. And we're all sitting there like, y- yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we know that. And he goes. Um, he goes. None of you guys should be here. He goes. None of you are experienced. None of you have seen combat. Like he goes. But you're here. He goes. So while you're here, we're going to take you under our wing, and um, and and teach you everything we can. So just you know. You better learn everything you can because, because you're in, a, you're in a, a big boy environment now. He goes, If you guys perform and you act like a, a big boy, he goes, You get treated that way. He goes, If you don't, you'll get treated like a kid, and that'll be the way it is. And, um, fair. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, you know, we all, we all did our best there. And, um, <clears throat> I think we really exceeded expectations for what the unit kind of thought they were going to get out of us. We were also the like, we were also the, like, the, the problem children. Like, we were, we were the mischievous ones. <laughs> if there was something mischievous that happened, we, we were behind it. Like, that was just the way it was. Um, one night, we were all getting ready to go on Christmas leave. And, uh, and uh, I, I feel bad even telling the story. Um, so one <laughs> night, we were getting ready to go on Christmas leave. And, uh, and my buddy, uh, my buddy, AJ... Uh, he was in the room next to us. You know how the barracks rooms are connected by a bathroom? Yep. So it was my room with my buddy Rodriguez and then AJ and Labs in the other room. Well, AJ's chilling in his room and finds, he, he remembers that he has these like two, three liter bottles of soda in his freezer. They're frozen. Like they're frozen solid. Oops. And so he pulls them out and he's like, we're standing on the third deck of the barracks and he goes, oh dude, he goes, let's throw them off the third deck of the barracks. And like, watch them explode on the ground. It'd be fun. Right. We're like, yeah, let's, let's, what else are we going to do at, this, at, this, time of <laughs> night, at yeah. this time of the night? It was really late. And so he just, I mean, dude, he yeets this, this fucking bottle off, off the top of the third deck. And you know how when somebody throws something and your eyes are just drawn to what it's going to hit and it's not good? You've ever had that moment, oh, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. like, the second it leaves their hand, you're like, you're like, you can oh, see the trajectory. No. <laughs> So it leaves his hand, and all of our eyes are just drawn down to the parking lot to this black, at the time, brand spanking new BMW. Oh, no. Oh, oh, yeah. And so we're sitting there and we're like, no, no, no. And, and it just whoosh, 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 hits the windshield, just craters the windshield, and somehow thawed enough mid flight that it just sprayed slushy, like soda. <laughs> all over the inside of this guy's, like, brand new interior. Oh, my God. I'd be so mad. <laughs> and, uh, and so we did what any respectable, like, like, PFCs and Lance Corporals would do. We scattered. We fucking, we were like cockroaches when the lights came off. We're like, ah! You know, everybody went back to the room. We all pretended to be asleep. And <laughs> so I'm laying in my bed. And <laughs> we can hear down on the ground, this guy comes out, and he goes, Oh man, my fucking car! <laughs> <laughs> Not half a second later, we hear his boots stomping up the stairs to our, you know, to our deck where we're all at, and he's coming down the line, just knocking on our doors. He's like, "Get out of here! I know it was you, Charlie Company sons of bitches! Get out of here!" So we all get out there, and we're all rubbing our eyes, we're just like, "What's going on? What's what happened?" And he goes, "Bullshit! I know it was you." He goes, what do you guys threw this bottle of soda through my fucking car? <laughs> my buddy AJ's sitting there, and he's like four shades paler white than he usually is, and um, <laughs> he's not saying anything, and nobody else is saying anything. Nobody knows what to do, and so I just look and I go, "Oh man, dude, there's no way that any of us could have thrown a three liter bottle of soda to your car like that far. Like that just wouldn't work."
0: Yeah,
1: and he goes, and he, he kind of like. He kind of looks at me like, what are you talking about? And then one of the other guys goes, yeah, I heard a car peel out of here just a little bit ago. And I'm like, you need to shut the fuck up because we just said we were pretending to be asleep. You were asleep. All right. Keep your story straight. So so by the end of it, like I I take him down. I'm like looking at it and I'm, I'm like standing over his vehicle. I'm like, look at the trajectory of this, man. Like it wouldn't have come from over there. Like somebody had to stand over your vehicle and like smash it down. Like that's the only way that this happened. So by the end of it, I had this guy convinced that some dude from another unit came and vandalized this guy's car, and oh my and my buddy AJ got off free and clear. And like to this day, like that's one of the I think that's one of the most like dirty lies I've ever told. Oh, that sucks. <laughs> but it's like they t- you yeah, know they teach you to like look out for your own, right? So like, dude, he was in my company. I wasn't gonna let him go down like that.
0: So. Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> Oh man, he he must have been so mad.
1: Oh dude, he was. I mean, he was red with anger, and he was so sure it was us. Like he knew it was us. And then and then I told him it wasn't, and he believed me. So.
0: That's crazy. <laughs> that's crazy, man. So did you guys? Um, did you guys go on any deployments or anything?
1: I didn't deploy with Marsoc. I did. Uh, I did my first two years uh, with Marsoc. Um, we were doing a lot of training. I still did a lot of specialized training. But that's why I don't tell people I was Marsoc because if you don't go on a deployment with them you're not you're not part of them like they don't they don't accept you as part of the community like you're not part of the SOC community if you haven't gone on deployment with the team gotcha so um you know, we did a lot of training we were doing a lot of uh, uh a lot of specialized like we had a we had a, a company called tiger swan come out and uh and teaches advanced like you know shooting tactics and we did like cross line fire um we got to do all dude, we got to do all kinds of stuff i mean we 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 got thousands and thousands of rounds each week to like throw down range so we were always having a good time shooting and just doing cool stuff so um but we went to uh went down to coronado in um in 2007 for the amphibious raid course so i was uh we were all doing different things some people were doing scout swimmer some people were doing over the horizon, you know, navigation, so you can navigate by the stars, okay. Where you don't have, you know, any, any landmarks. Yeah. Um, I was doing the coxswain course, which is the the, the driving the, the the little rubber boats. Oh, okay. You know, so we were doing that, and that was oh man, that was such a good time. Um, you know, we were out in the water every day. You know, we, we got to go, you know, ride alongside the sea lions and stuff like that. Um, our platoon sergeant at this time, his name was Staff Sergeant Bayarano. Staff Sergeant Bayrano fucking hated us. Um, now, the reason Staff Sergeant Bayrano hated us is because he was an SOI instructor. And he was really excited to get sent to MARSOC because he was ready to get away from SOI students. When he shows up to First MSOC... He inherits a bunch of SOI students. He inherits a bunch of SOI students. Dude, he hated us. He hated us with like a, a level of like unreasonable passion that like we didn't deserve, you know, like like we didn't deserve the hatred that he gave to us. But like when you're at the school, they're supposed to leave you alone. Like they're supposed to not play like stupid games. We played stupid games with us all the time. So when we we're doing uh, when we we're doing uh, uh, beach, you know, we we're doing surf breaking, you know, beach, you yeah, know, beach launch and beach recovery. They teach you how to contour the waves. So when you're driving the boat, you're supposed to gun the throttle as you go up. Over the wave, and then as you reach the crest of the wave, you're supposed to let off the throttle, and then you gently sail over it and to the other side. And it's a nice, smooth ride. Um, so, the day we were doing it for like, you know, for like show, Staff Sergeant Bayrano decides he wants to get in our boat and he wants to ride number one man assault. The number one man assault is at the very front of the boat, hugging the tube, right? Right. Under his face is this giant fucking D ring that just sucks to have your face bounced off of. None of us said a word to each other. This is how good of a team we were. None of us said a word to each other. We all just looked at each other, and everyone had the same idea. The second we we got on the stick, because we all we all had a turn going out, you know, through the surf and then coming back. Dude, just Nyeh! and we're just sitting here, just going boom, bloom, boom, boom. <laughs> we're looking up at the front, and Staff Sergeant Rano's face is just going. Bloom, bloom, bloom. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone in the boat, all eight of us, drove the boat and did the same thing to him. <laughs> we get done and he's like, You guys suck. His face is all red. I think we chipped a tooth. Like he's oh like, my yeah. God. No, we gave him a bloody lip. Like and that's what happens. Like, like if you're a higher up and you mess with your guys in a in a in an unsat way, they will get you back somehow. Somehow, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's coming back. Yep, yep. So, um, you know, while we were down there, um, Basically, there were some things that went down with uh, one of the companies with second MSAB while they were in Afghanistan where a bunch of civilians died. And, um, and it, was the, it was basically the security platoon's fault. There was a big investigation that went into it. It was this whole fiasco. And they decided they were going to scrap the, the security platoons. Okay. So while we're, at the, while, while we're at the amphibious raid course, um, our battalion commander comes out to us. I mean, we've been, we've been killing it. We've been doing good this whole time. And he comes out to us and he, he tells us the news that they're doing away with security platoons. And he goes, you know, he goes, I, he goes, my hands are tied here. He goes, but you guys deserve better than this. You're supposed to be grandfathered in. But if you guys want to go through A&S, which is assessment and selection, you can't. He goes, you have the option to do that. He goes, or you can just, you know, opt out and we'll send you out to an infantry unit. Right. Um, so about 30 of us decided to go to A&S. Okay. And, uh, I mean, this was like, this was the second A&S that had ever happened. So when we get there, there was still like Delta Force guys there. And there was the Marine instructors, like the Marine cadre that were kind of like running everything. But right. you could tell the Delta Force guys were like behind the scenes. Like they were the ones running everything. Gotcha. And like, you know, I don't know if you've met any Delta Force guys before. <laughs> yeah. But they're totally like the most regular dudes that you would. My favorite looked like Bill, Billy Bob Thornton, like a skinnier version of Billy Bob Thornton, and he was just this regular dude, you know, older guy, um, totally unassuming. You would not think that this guy was 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 Delta Force if you were just walking down the street and looked at him. Right. Um, and at the time, I was all about it, dude. I wanted to. I wanted to go. I wanted to go career Special Forces community. I wanted to be an operator. I wanted to eventually get out and do the CIA thing. Um so that was like something I was really big into. So I we were at ANS, um I got a chance during one of the NAV courses um to actually sit down with this Delta Force guy and like ask him a couple questions. So I I went up to him and I was like, um yeah, I know you probably can't tell me anything. He goes, uh, but I but I go, "How does the Delta Force in doc, like assessment selection program mm-hmm. stack up to this one?" And he goes, "Take everything you do here, he goes, and multiply by two. He goes, and that's the Delta Force in Doc. And I was like, ah. <laughs> and that was where I was like, I will not be going Delta Force. <laughs> 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 um, dude, Marstock Assessment Selection was crazy, man. Like, it was so intense. The 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 first night you get there, and I don't, I don't even know how much of this stuff I can talk about. But the first night you get there, you do this, like, crazy, like, like, you know, unknown distance thing. By the end of it, I, uh, I had blood like in my boots. Like I had a pool of blood in my boots by the time I got to the end of this thing. Wow. Um, and I mean, they've changed it since then anyway. Like it's like, it's, it's gone through multiple, multiple sure. revisions. revisions yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, when I went through, I mean, the it, dude it was insane. Um, I had a, uh, one of the Alice packs, you know, the metal frame packs. Mm-hmm. I had one of those snap under the weight of a log. Ooh. Um, and like the, the metal strut like jammed into my back. And, of course, you can't stop. Like, if you stop, you quit. Like, that, like stopping right. is quitting. You can't stop. So, you know, the lock snapped my pack, and then it's just like, well, keep going. So, like, now I have to go to a chiropractor every, like, every like so often because sometimes this rib will pop out of place from where that pack snapped on me. Oh, man. And then next thing you know, I, I can't breathe real well. Getting up out of bed hurts. You know, going back to bed hurts. Thankfully, the chiropractic work works yeah but like man dude some of the stuff i did when i was at marsoc was like insane
0: yeah it's crazy like that whole injury thing i had a a buddy who was like out of high school he went in the army and going green beret route and um he was the radio guy and so they were on like a long a long pack hike in the mountains and he just like stepped on a rock and it kind of rolled wrong and like jacked up his ankle right and he was like i got a power and they were only like a third of the way through the hike so i mean they had a long ways to go Couple of days left hiking, and he's like, "I just gotta power through it." And um long story short, it ended up. He was like, "I can't quit because they'll wash me out. I'll be done, right?" Yeah. And um, so he made it to like the final day, and like he just couldn't couldn't take the pain anymore. So they let him have another shot at it, but his ankle was already so destroyed, yep. it wasn't gonna hold up. But um, but it's crazy how like intense that is, you know? Like, yeah, you're hurt, you just
1: they, keep quiet they and you, go. They want you to keep going, and um, you know. It's it's interesting because it's one of those things like where when you're in your like, you know, when you're 18, 19, 20 something, you know, you think you're invincible. You think you're immortal. You think that you're going to recover from everything, everything. And so they push you, you know, to do all this stuff. and It's like you don't even think about the damage you're doing to your body long term in the in the time. It's not until like after you get out. And start like you know dealing with all the like physical you know consequences of of your own actions right <laughs> that uh they, they start to realize hey, maybe maybe I shouldn't just tough through everything you know <laughs> <laughs> right, <clears throat> but they have that culture, I mean even with infantry like if you go to if you go to BAH, you know you're you know, you're malingering or you know whatever, like it doesn't even matter if it's for something legitimate right You know, they're gonna try they're gonna try and make you feel bad about it for for a while
0: of course they are, yeah, so. So, um, after the Marine Corps, um, now, why'd you get out of the Marine Corps then?
1: So, um, after I did, after I, you know, I did two years with, uh, with, with MARSOC, um, after I got through assessment selection, uh, out of, out of 60 people that went through, only 12 people got selected. Okay. Out of thirty of my peers that went through, 30 people like me that were boots that went through, only two of us got selected. Oh dang. So I get back to I get back to first MSOB. You know, I'm on I'm on cloud nine because I just got through I just got through, you know, military selection. And you go up on a board. I'll tell you this story. So you go up on a board whenever we go through selection, and it's like when I went through, it was like six full bird colonels um and six sergeant majors. And this is my first military board to go on. Dang. Mind you, we've been in assessment selection for like, you know, like, like two weeks now or so. Okay. So we're going through, um, and when I walked in, there was this staff sergeant that was on, one of the instructors, his name was Staff Sergeant Twofford. Um, we, we called him Staff Sergeant Twat Waffle. <laughs> um, but he had this like douchey mustache. You know the one I'm talking about, yep, right? I know yeah. what you're talking about. So we all grew mustaches to make fun of this guy. Every one of us, all of us going through selection, grew mustaches to make fun of this guy. <laughs> So when it came time to go for the board, most everybody caught wind that we were going through the board, went and shaved their mustaches, right? Uh-huh. Put on their best camis. I ripped my camis from, like, knee to shin uh, during the course of selection. So when I walk into this board, my camis are ripped from here to here. Oh, no. And I've got this, I've dude, like, mustache. Like, not regulation mustache. Just growing. Like, big old caterpillar <laughs> on my lip. And so I walk in there little Lance Corporal Lane walks in there and uh and these guys looking at me and so they start off with the regular questions you know like like you know hello how are you all all that stuff you know the the formalities and then first off one of the sergeant majors my sergeant major uh He goes, what's with the mustache and so I told him I was like you know well I was like, it was a, I was like, it was a community building. Um, I was like, it was a unit building. Yeah. I was like, it was a unit building exercise. I was like, We all grew them.
0: That's a good way to like, spin together. it. Yeah.
1: I was like, we all grew them together. I was like, it was something we did to, you know, to build camaraderie and, and stuff like that. I go, everybody else got the memo and shaved theirs. I was like, I, I didn't. So you get, you get the mustache. And I'm like, okay. All right. All right. So they, they go through the rest of the questions and stuff like that. And then they send me out. And I'm sitting out there and this uh this ins- one of the marine instructors his name is Sergeant Penray comes out and he goes uh I'm taking a really long time on you. And I go, "Yeah." He goes, "Yeah." He goes, "Much longer than they've taken on anybody else." He goes, "Uh I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but I just thought you should know." And he walks back in. <laughs> <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> so, so they call me back in and uh and I go back in and, and they're like, "Well, you know, you're really young. They're like, you know, you, you don't have the experience that we're looking for. They're like, but we think you, you would be a good fit. So you know, you're selected. And so I did. Again, I get back from from super you know, pumped, assistants. right? Actually, oh, dude, I was super pumped. Uh, I was supposed to be getting seats to BRC, you know, the basic reconnaissance course. Whenever I got back, um, and so I went home on Christmas leave. I get back and I'm like, hey, what's going on with my what's going on with my seats? Um, find out this master gunnery sergeant uh gruber which i'll throw him under the bus i hate you still um yeah no no fuck that guy um no he didn't like me He, he had a real chip on his shoulder about people being there that weren't you know that weren't you know first force you know or hadn't done their time and stuff like that so he just really didn't like me so he got me orders out to this unit called msoag which is marine special operations advisory group and this was on the east coast and i'd had a couple buddies get sent there and they got sent out, like, the next day. They got sent out to infantry units the next day. So I knew it was a dead-end unit. Um, and it doesn't even exist anymore. They, they, they dissolved it shortly after I left. Um, oh, wow. So I got orders out there. And, I, you know, I tried to fight it every way I could, you know, without requesting mass and, like, you know, you know like doing that. Probably should have requested mass. Yeah. Um, but ultimately, you know, the decision was made. So I went out to North Carolina um, did training out there. Uh, the advisory group was all about learning how to train foreign, you know, forces on how okay. to do guerrilla operations. Okay. So I went through this, uh, this, uh, field op called, uh, called, called lit light infantry training. Mm-hmm. I don't know why they call it that. Cause there wasn't nothing light about it, dude. It was as heavy as shit. <laughs> um, so we went through that. It was a bunch of sleep deprivation. It was a, I mean, it was a bunch of just, oh, just it's, it was a suck fest. And, um, and so we were running these, you know, these, these training missions, you know, so everybody would take a turn, um, you know, running the mission. So you would be the mission, you know, planner, you'd be in charge. Okay. So you'd plan the mission, you'd run the mission and then somebody else would take charge. So when it came up my turn, did my mission, got done, you know, cool. Well, I didn't drink a lot of water while I was doing it. Cause I was like, you know, I was getting stuff done. And then I didn't drink water after that. They put me on this, uh, they put me on this detachment to go search down a cache that they had buried somewhere. So me and this group of guys goes out on this, uh, you know, for this cache recovery and, uh, and we go out and whoever was our nav guy gets us lost. Oh no! So we're just roaming out in the, roaming out in the woods in North Carolina, just looking for this cache that doesn't exist. And we've spent all this time on it. And the same instructor that was the one who came out to tell me that they were taking a long time was at this unit. And one of our instructors there, he didn't like me very much either. Oh, so, so he comes over and finds us. He like, has to run us down because we're supposed to be back with the main, the main group at this point. Right. And so we go and he, he runs us back. He's like, he's like yelling at us that we didn't find stuff. You know, we, we fucked up. And like he's running us back. As we're running back, I step on this sharp stick and it just lodges in my foot and breaks off. Oh, crap. Again, you know, special forces, you don't stop. Right. So I just keep running until we get back to the main group. The second we get back to the main group, I'm like, I'm like, you know, trying to pull the stick out of my foot. Right. So we do this final, this final kind of like mission. Like it was this final like assault kind of thing. And then the seven tons were supposed to come pick us up. But after we got done with the final mission, everybody started acting stupid. Everybody started firing their blanks in the air, uh, hooting and hollering, just all, all this like all this just dumb like childish stuff. And uh, and so then they made us run back. And when oh. they made us run back, um, they, uh, they sent us, uh, they, 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 you know, they had us running back, and that was when I just went down, like a heat casualty. Um, hadn't had enough water, hadn't eaten any food, ran on that cache, and then just, just, just that was the first time I ever went down. It was the first time I ever fell out of a run. And so uh, after that, they sent me away from that unit, and they sent me to 1-7 over in 29 Palms. So oh, I, got, I, got, I got 86 from the unit for going down once. And uh, and got sent to one seven, and that was where I did my last two years with, and that was where I deployed to Iraq. Dang, yeah,
0: I think that's a lot, a lot going on. So, you got out and kind of fast forward, and, and I know you made a reference earlier, like a Star Wars reference, but yeah. But um, you're a big Star Wars fan.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, huge Star Wars fan.
0: And I know kind of a weird, a weird twist, right, from Marine Corps to, to Star Wars, but huge Star Wars fan, and, and you're doing some stuff with that now. Star Wars, honestly, is one of my whole favorite series like anytime it's even on like some random cable channel i'm like yeah i'm gonna put that on
1: yeah yeah (laughs) if if you're scrolling the channels and it's on spike you're like
0: okay i guess this is what return of the jedi sure okay absolutely (laughs) yeah so um tell us a little bit about that i mean um you're, you're doing all sorts of stuff like martial arts and sabers and and all these things so so tell us a little bit like how you got kind of engulfed into the whole star Wars yeah, thing. So
1: I, you know, I told you I was an adopted kid. Um, so I grew up with like all these anger problems cause my home life before I was adopted wasn't, wasn't very good or safe. Um, so I grew up with all these like anger issues and, uh, my parents were pastors of a church. So I really wanted to be a good Christian. I wanted to be a fivefold minister growing up. Um, and for me, star Wars was one of those things that just like it, everything just clicked. Like the concept of the force with the concept of like an infinite God kind of thing, uh, the, the story of the Jedi, the story of Luke, you know, uh, basically, you know, being raised by his aunt and uncle on Tatooine, mm-hmm. finding out that his father was the Dark Lord of the Sith, overcoming his own anger. The story just, it, it just inspired me in a way that, like, I, you know, I, I can't even quantify. Like, I feel more at home in the Star Wars universe than I do here.
0: A lot of relatability, huh? A lot of
1: relatability for me. And so, you know, I was just, uh, and of course, the first time you see a lightsaber on screen and you see it ignite it's like, that was like the ultimate weapon to me. Like that, like to me, that was like, that was what I wanted right there. Yeah. And so I was hooked the second I saw my first lightsaber. Um, I was big into martial arts. When I was in eighth grade, I started doing a, a traditional style of Okinawan martial arts called Shorn Ryu. Um, got my Shodan before I went to boot camp. Um, when I was in SOI, I bought my first Master Replicas lightsaber. I bought a Luke Skywalker Master Replicas lightsaber. And these are not for fighting. Um, they're like $120, like collectible props, they okay. light up, they have sound, bought it, fought with it, broke it, bought another one. Like this is like a, a regular thing in my <laughs> running Corps experience buy, buying these things, fighting with them. When I, uh, when I was at, uh, right before we went to the coxswain course, um, we broke into the whiskey locker in the barracks and there was like, it was full of glow sticks. It's full of glow sticks or chem lights as we call them, you know? Yeah. So just boxes and boxes of chem lights. So the night before we left, we broke open every box of chem lights Cracked open all of them and then had a huge chem light war. Oh my God. So we're all just out in the bears, just throwing chem lights at each other. Uh, and so I go and grab, uh, I go and grab my buddy's uh, Darth Vader lightsaber. And then I just go down to the, the bottom of the third deck. There's three stories of people throwing glow sticks. And I just ignite the lightsaber. Well, everybody sees me ignite the lightsaber, turns, and then just immediately starts trying to peg the, <laughs> peg the guy with the lightsaber, right? Peg right. the guy with the biggest glow stick. So they start trying to peg me. I'm deflecting glow sticks down on the third deck and like, or down on the first deck, and then I start moving up the like, up the like deck, and I'm like actually blocking stuff. Yeah. And uh, I get up to the third deck, and I'm like moving through, you know, and stuff like that. And then somebody threw a, a, an infrared glow stick, and I, the, my force powers were not with me. I didn't see that would have be, beat me right in the floor. Oh crap! <laughs> I know somebody was looking at me, was just like, let me see, dodge this motherfucker, and just threw it at me. Yes. You know right. Right. <laughs> So Star Wars has been a big part of of my life for a long time, even through my time in the Marine Corps. Like when I was in uh, when I was in Iraq, I carried a lightsaber up in the turret with me, Um, just had it hanging up there. And that was like my that was like my personal dedication to like or symbol of my dedication to being a light everywhere I go. That's cool. Like for me, you know, I, I wanted to I wanted to serve our country in a way that aligned with like my values as well. Um, so like the, my lightsaber, like I carry one everywhere I go and that's like my constant reminder that, that I'm, I'm, I'm a warrior who brings light and life, not death and destruction. That's really cool. And after I got out for me, um, you know, it's like, I had this really big feeling that like the only thing my hands were suited for was destruction. So learning how to build lightsabers gave me a, a, a skill and a craft where now I feel like I can create things and I don't just feel like, you know, destroying is the only thing that I'm good at.
0: Yeah. That's really cool. So you actually build like movie quality like lightsabers now, yes, right? Yes,
1: yes, yeah. Uh, so and and you know not only movie quality, but I, I do uh, I do competitive lightsaber dueling as well. So these are uh, uh, these are also you know martial arts training tools. Um, the blades are made out of a thick polycarbonate, which is the same material that goes in the construction of, of bulletproof glass. Okay. So you can actually hit these together, and they won't break.
0: Oh, they're strong um, then. They
1: are. They are strong. So, yeah, you can see it. And the hilter are ordinarily made out of uh, aircraft aluminum. Um, wow, that thing's solid. It is, yeah, yeah. Um, and there, there's a few different companies out there who make, you know, really quality um, sabers, and they have great electronics and stuff like that. And I've, I've interacted with most of them, and I've, I've broken most of them. The <laughs> um, so for me, after I got out, you know, I was, I was you know, still playing with lightsabers and stuff like that, but I kept breaking them, and it was just too expensive to, like, have to keep, you know, having the company maintain them or buy a new one. Right. So I started learning how to make them. I started learning learn how to repair the ones that I had. Um, and then from there, I ended up getting a job working at this company called Saberforge. Um, and that was, a, that was a crazy experience. Yeah. Um, because the owner was uh, basically working out of a garage whenever I started working with him up in the Bay Area. Gotcha. And, uh, and then we moved up to Oregon, um, and I helped him take his company from two people in a garage to six shops in Oregon City with 70-plus employees. Um, I was part of a Kickstarter campaign that gained over like $2.1 million. Wow. I was on the news up in Oregon like multiple times. Um, once we got the shops, I really started running his company because he stopped showing up. Um, oh, geez. yeah, yeah, no, I would call him and be like, Hey, uh, there's this thing that I feel like, you know, needs an owner's like, you know, decision and to be like, figure it the fuck out. Um, so I would. And, and so I was running the machine shop. Uh, I'd be putting out fires in other departments all day and still like had to maintain a daily quota of hilts, like got, gotten out as well. The same as everybody else. Oh, so yeah. Yeah. A responsibility. It was, it was a lot, dude. It was a lot, and um, and over the time that I was there, like you know, things just kept getting like kind of crazier and crazier. Um, the guy was just, the guy's just kind of abusive, um, and not even kind of abusive. The guy's really abusive. Uh, so you know, after you know, I worked there for like four years, and then uh, and, <laughs> and he fired me. Uh, so um, yeah, you know, I came back down to California to be with family, and now I'm just working on getting my own business started up.
0: That's cool. That's cool. So um, you were saying there's like a competitive thing with the lightsaber yes. stuff. So what, tell us, what, what's that all about?
1: So uh, the organization that I duel with uh, primarily is called uh, TSL. It's the Saber Legion. Okay. And so uh, it is uh, it is an, uh, an international dueling organization. It's about 3,000 members strong. Um, and, yeah, we, we get together and we do like full contact lightsaber dueling. We wear uh, fencing helmets and gear. Most people theme their gear uh based Lighting, off yeah. of yeah based off of some
0: type. So it's like fencing in a way, right? Sword fighting kind, kind of, of.
1: I I call lightsaber combat the the mixed martial arts of 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 sword fighting because uh when you look at the blade it's you know it's round, right? There's right. there's no cutting or blocking edge to a lightsaber. It's all a cutting or blocking edge. So what we call that is an omnidirectional blocking and striking surface. So what's cool about this is this works as an allegory for any sword combat you bring. So we get people from hema we get people from fencing. We get people from Filipino martial arts. We get people that just come in off the street, watch five animes, and want to come, you know, come tangle. Oh, yeah. Um. And it and it's really cool because it all translates. You know, it all it, all the techniques you know translate into the lightsaber. So you get a really cool mix of styles and and you know and approaches to you know fighting.
0: Yeah. And so people, I imagine people make their own. They buy them from different places. So uh,
1: yeah, there's a there's kind of a. It's kind of a small crossover of people who make and people who duel. Okay. Um, Most people either make or they duel, and then there's a there's there's like yeah, there's probably probably about you know twenty or thirty or so people in the community that actually make stuff and then go out and fight with it.
0: Gotcha. Okay, that's really cool. So, do you do stuff for like? For movies and things like that, or does Hollywood have their own whole separate gig?
1: So when I worked at Saber Forge, this was this was kind of interesting. When I worked at Saber Forge, Pinewood Studios reached out to us uh, when The Force Awakens was was underway. Okay, and uh, they actually bought uh, they actually bought like like three or four lightsabers from us, oh, and cool. so I got to be a part of making the lightsabers for Pinewood Studios, and then they really liked our hilts that we sent them, uh, but then the owner. Decided to post about it on, on Facebook. He decided to post a screenshot of the letter that the guy from Pinewood Studios sent him, oh. saying how much he loved the product. And the second he posted, I I went to him and I was like, dude, that's not that that ain't it right there. I'm like, think about how like tight-lipped Disney is on its own, mm-hmm. and then think about how tight-lipped they always are with Star Wars stuff. Like, you're gonna get somebody in trouble. You're gonna lose us like a, a good contract here. And uh, and he blew me off. He's like, no, nah, whatever. I like, it's not a big deal. And then the guy who bought the lightsabers, like, called him, like, in tears. He's like, dude, if you don't take that down right now, I'm fired. Like, like right now. And, uh, uh, and so, and they never reached out to us again after that. They never, they never wanted anything to do with us. Yeah. But they did, uh, they did take some, some pointers from us, in some of the shots for The Force Awakens, they used lit sabers for, for some of the shots. Okay. And the reason for that is, is because in the, in the, like, original trilogy and the prequel trilogies, they either use an aluminum rod or a carbon fiber rod that they that they then go in and do the effects on after after screen.
0: Oh, okay. But if
1: I'm sitting here holding a, a, a saber up to my face that isn't lighting up, you're not getting an accurate light reading from the blade on my face. Oh. You're not getting the shadows. If they just do it get,
0: after in the post production, yeah, it's hard to put the shading. You yeah. don't
1: get the shading that you get from a lit blade. So that was something that they actually took from us was using lit blades. Uh, for some of the shots so that they could get the accurate shadows on the, on the actor's faces. Um, For me, I have a Facebook page called put Daniel on star Wars um, because uh, you know, obviously being in a star Wars movie is something that I really, that'd be really cool. I really want to do. Yeah. Um, And I've been, I've been very theatrically inclined for like my whole life. I did a lot of performance stuff with my church and with my school. Um, When I got out of the Marine Corps, I went to Mira Costa for a little bit for theater Um, so I, I really enjoy doing creative projects like that and stuff like that. Um, what's really kind of like put me off from it because one of the characters that I would really, that I personify in the Star Wars universe is a character named Darth Revan, Um, and he's, uh, he's, he's from a a game, uh, called Knights of the Republic. Um, and so Knights of the Republic came out when I was in eighth grade. That was the first Star Wars game. or That was the first video game that I stayed up all night playing. Okay. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I mean, it's an exceptional game. It takes place thousands of years before um, the events of The Phantom Menace. Um, so it's a real wide open thing and it covers like the ancient history of everything. It talks about this, uh, this group called the Infinite Empire, which predates the Republic and basically enslaved the galaxy and pretty much all the technology in the Star Wars universe, hyperspace, blasters, lightsabers, they come from Infinite Empire technology. So, hmm. um, not so Republic was one of those games that was all about questioning the official narrative that governments, religions, and other institutions tell us so that you can get the full story. It, okay. it was all about that kind of like, that kind of like, like reading into things. And, and there was a ton of subtext in the game and it came at me at a, just this beautiful time in my life. And really like, like it inspired me on all, both my spiritual walk and, you know, and my, my, you know, passion for Star Wars as well.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's really cool. So what's your favorite Star Wars movie?
1: Uh, Return of the Jedi, hands down. Yeah, Return of the Jedi is my favorite, followed closely by Empire Strikes Back.
0: Yeah, those two are awesome. Now, are there, I'm sure, because I've never read, but I know there's a bunch of Star Wars books. Yes. Right, so I imagine there's plenty more movies that could be,
1: Oh, well, I mean, yeah. Scripted from all that they're, stuff, right? They're going to keep, I mean, Disney, you know Disney. Disney's going to keep pumping out movies at the cyclic rate. So, yeah, a lot of the books are, are post-Return of the Jedi, and they basically retconned all of that. Like, like, in the books, Luke's son's name was Ben, and Han and Leia had three children named uh, Jason, Jaina, and Anakin. Um, okay. So you can see where they changed a lot of that in the, in the, the, in the sequel show. trilogy. Yeah. So they're gonna go their own way with that, but there's even still there's a ton of like old Republic stuff. Like I would love to see them do Darth Bane. Um, I would love to see them do like a lot of that 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 type of like the old Republic stuff.
0: Yeah, no, that's really cool. And uh, I don't uh, I don't know how the the whole uh, thing goes with like Mandalorian and how that all fits in. Have you watched that series and stuff?
1: Yes, yeah. So Mandalorian is uh, post Return of the Jedi, pre The Force Awakens.
0: Okay, gotcha. Yeah,
1: that's
0: cool. That's a great so, series.
1: It is. Uh, it's wonderful. It's one, of the, it's one of the best.
0: Yeah. For sure. I really like it. Um, all right. And then, then you had like another, another story that you were going to share with us.
1: Um, after we got back from Iraq, um, we held the Marine Corps ball in Vegas. Okay. So we're all in Vegas. Everybody's kind of doing their own thing. kind of a
0: bad combo It's kind of a bad combo. Right kind of a bad Marines, combo. In Marines in Vegas, Vegas yeah. is a terrible
1: combo. So um, one of my buddies is sitting at a bar and he's just drinking. He's trashed. And uh, this guy next to him, like, spills a drink on him and is just rude about it. So my buddy's steaming, and he's just about to go, like, start a fight with this guy. And then as he's about to get up to go start a fight with this guy, he feels a hand on his shoulder and this really familiar sounding voice going, hey, it's not worth it. My buddy turns and sees none other than Dan fucking Aykroyd sitting next to him. Yeah, Dan Aykroyd (laughs) sitting next to him. And so Dan Aykroyd is just like, yeah, you know, you don't want to go start a fight with this guy. Come on, let me buy you a drink. Buys my buddy a drink, sits there, chills with him for a while, and then and then they just part their separate ways. And he kept my, he totally, kept my defused buddy. Yeah, totally defused the situation. Totally defused the situation. Good for Ay- him. That's cool. Dan Aykroyd stopped a fight from going down between one of my Marine buddies and uh, and some random dude. Right on. He didn't stop my buddy uh, my buddy K Bar from getting kicked out of the Bellagio for getting in a fight though. They got into a fight in the lobby of the Bellagio. Some guy started a fight with his buddy. And then my buddy K-Bar is like 6'3", just put his foot in the guy's like chest and then just stomped him to the ground. Oh, my gosh. And then they all got kicked out of the Bellagio.
0: Yeah. Well, yep. That'll happen. Yep.
1: yep. That's, that's a good way to get kicked out of the Bellagio. <laughs>
0: wow. Uh, well, Daniel, thanks so much for being on the show with us today, man. It's super fun. Um, great stories. and. We sit here and talk about probably Star Wars all afternoon. It's true. Um, but um, I'm a huge fan. I don't know it like you do, but I really appreciate you sharing all this information with us. And if anybody wants to get some deep, deep Star Wars info, this is your man right here. He, he, can, he can lay it down. So, it's true. Dan, thanks, buddy. Dude, thanks, appreciate it, man. Yeah, yeah, awesome. Thank you so much for checking out today's episode. If you have any questions about the guests on the show, please reach out to me at valonguy.us.